Um, if you can join with me and you found the page, we'll read from it in Romans 6. And I'll start. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into death? We were there before. We were... We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in the death like this, we certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like this. For we know that Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might not be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can not die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died in sin once and for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let the sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Father, we do thank you for your word and we do thank you that you speak to us through it. And so we pray now, Lord, as we do hear from it, that your spirit will be at work in our hearts. Your spirit will be convicting us of, of sin that exists, any, uh, any uh, areas of our life where we are turning away from you and uh, turning to and, and relying on ourselves. And I do pray, Lord, today as we hear from uh, Romans, Lord, that um, yeah, you, you'll, you'll speak to us and that uh, we'll want to live a life, turn to you, re- repent and uh, obey you uh, because you are a God worthy of that and worthy of our worship. And so we pray now, Lord, that, um, yeah, that, that we'll hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me ask you a question. Who remembers what they were like in high school? Everyone? Most of us here? Uh, for some of us here, it was only a few years ago. But for other people here, it was like 20 years ago. Uh, but who here uh, was cool in high school? Come on, don't be shy. I'm sure some of you were cool in high school. Who here cringes when they think about what they were like in high school? I do, 100%. Now, if you were to describe, um, most of us here, hopefully, you know, when you describe yourself from then and now, most of us would say we've, we've glowed up, right? Glowed up, right? Gl- grew up, glowed up. Um, I learned this from young people, glow up. Right? It's a transformation uh, where you become a new person for the better. Um, you know, the braces are off and you moisturize now and you've learned how to wear cologne or perfume. Whatever it is, you glow up. You're a new person. Uh, some of the guys, there are actually a couple of guys in this room who knew me in high school. 
And they might disagree that I've changed, uh, but I have changed. I have longer hair now, okay? And I don't wear baggy jeans or turtlenecks, uh, and I've generally just, I just filled out, okay? I'm not as scrawny, and I, well, I don't think I am. And I think overall, I'm just a bit more confident in myself, okay? That's what I, at least what I think of myself. 16-year-old me, man, he was always angry or depressed. 16-year-old me, I'd always hide my insecurities with cussing and wanting to fight people. I'd be this angry, angsty teen, uh, but now I'm in my 30s. I've glowed up. I've mellowed out. And, and when I think about uh, what, I was, when I, what I was like when I was 16, man, it, it makes me cringe. Uh, like you all know, it, thinking about your teenage self makes you cringe, right? Aren't you glad you've glowed up? Gr rather, grew up? You've grown up? Uh, I mean, uh, that was the old me, and now with life experience and fashion advice, I'm not that guy anymore. But as you think about what you were like when you were a teenager, and you went through those angsty teenage, uh, that phase, would you, at this point in your life, want to be that person again? Uh, you know, 100% no. Most of us, let's be honest, most, most of us wouldn't want to be that person we were when we were 16. None of us wants to return to the scrawny, insecure teenage years. Once we've glowed up, why would we? And for us as a church, this is what we need to think about. For us as a church, for us who claim to be Christians, since you've become a Christian, would you go back to your old life before being a Christian? Do you sometimes find yourself even wrestling uh, with, that very, with that very question? I don't think the answer is so simple as saying no, is it? Sometimes some of us as Christians, we think, wow, I miss my old life before I was a Christian. Some of us think, you know, I wouldn't mind going back to the turtle, turtleneck jumpers and the braces and the insecurities and anxieties. And I'm speaking metaphorically, right? But isn't it true that when it comes to the struggle of living as a Christian, sometimes we think, I miss my old life. I wouldn't mind. Or perhaps the question for you now is, now that I am a Christian, how do I deal with the sin in my life that I keep turning to? Why do I keep on sinning? I'm a new me. I've glowed up, yet the old me seems to creep in and still dictates how I live today. Or you might be thinking, why does it even matter? Can't I just be a Christian and not change? Can't I just be a Christian and hold on to the way I lived before Jesus and, and just take the bits and pieces that I need about Christianity? Is change or transformation really necessary, Mikey? I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because right now in our culture, with the amount of self-help books on the, on the shelves in our bookstores, there's this narrative we're being told, isn't there? That you need to be a better you. You need to challenge yourself to change. Yet when it comes to the Christian life, we're so hesitant, aren't we? We're so fearful of change. Paul anticipates all these questions. In, in these two chapters, 6 and 7 of Romans, he gets it and knows that these questions we'd all have... Uh, is this, this idea of, of, of sin and the Christian life. And so let's consider what's happened so far in the book of Romans. From 1 to 5, uh, we saw that rain, uh, sin reigns over our humanity, that we can't rescue ourselves from it. Our, our sin means we'll choose ourselves rather than choose God. So no matter how much we want to do good, we'll always actually fall short of what God expects of us. We won't be perfect. None of us are. None of us will be holy before a holy and righteous God. We won't compare. We saw in chapter 4 and 5, though, that God provided a solution to our sin. He'll provide a, a new way for humanity to be justified, to be made right with him. And he does that through Jesus, Jesus who died for our sin. We heard that in chapter 4 and 5. Grace was shown by God in salvation to the undeserving sinner, you and me, you and I. It was a free gift of grace. And so Paul anticipates what's next. And he does because, really, it's, it's a question we all have. 
is a question we've all asked at some point as a Christian or learning about Christianity. Chapter 6, verse 1. You have to have your Bibles open because there's a lot we're going to go through. Chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read it. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. It's a big emphatic no here. Uh, who, uh, there, was a, there was a girl that used to come to our church. Her name was Zoli. Some of you guys know her, right? Every time she used to say no to me, she used to give me this big emphatic no. She used to say, heck no, right? That's how she'd, she'd say it to my face, and she'd be really... Um, anyways, that's what Paul is saying here. All right? That's what I think of when I think of by no means. That's it. I, I picture Zoli's face. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's outrageous to think. Now that you've been justified by faith in Christ, you've been saved by God's good grace and love, will you go on sinning? But we've all been there, haven't we? We've justified it in our head. God loves me. He's gracious to me. So if I sin, it'll be fine. He'll forgive me. Have you heard, some, have you heard yourself saying something like that? Have you lived that, lived that out before, like that, before you're, uh, and dismissed sin in your own life? I mean, if everything Christianity says is about grace, if that's true, then does it really matter if I go on still being the same old me? I mean, I like money, and I like having a lot of stuff, and I'll, you know, sure, I'm a bit greedy, but God will forgive me. I like sleeping around. I'm going to have sex with my, my, my partner because I love them, and one day we might marry. God will forgive me. I like gossiping, you know, gossiping about others. It won't hurt anyone. Sure, it might be hurtful about them, but, you know, God will forgive me. Or it's a bit more subtle. Maybe it's not an action that we do. Maybe it's something we, we, we think about or, or the way we, we, we act. I mean, the way we, we, we respond to things. You know, I know I'm meant to depend on God when it gets hard, but you know, that bottle of red, man, that looks like a better option. You know, the Netflix binging, the scrolling through social media, whatever my devices are, those things make me feel better. Yeah, God, I'll come back to him later. He'll forgive me. We justify it, don't we? And we keep pursuing sin because... Grace is free, and it'll always be there. We treat grace like that get-out-of-jail-free card, you know, that free ticket to heaven. But Paul here, the author of Romans here, he gives us a big, emphatic no. Grace is free, 100%. Yes, it's free, but grace isn't cheap, is it? Grace came at a cost. Jesus gave his life on a cross so you and I could have life. But we take this label of Christianity... And then in our pursuit of sin, what do we do? We spit in God's face. It's a full diss. But to see grace as costly and undeserving, receiving it with gratitude, everything changes. See, Paul writes from verse 2, By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Get this, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You see, when it comes to understanding salvation, we've we got to understand we've become a new me, a new person. There is that glow-up transformation that takes place. We've been given a new life. Christians, we often use this term, born again, don't we? A born-again Christian. 
It's because we've got this new life where sin doesn't reign over us. It's not our ruler anymore. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm saying sin with a capital S sin, like a, a ruler, the dominion of sin. It doesn't reign over us anymore. Our nature, that, it, it's that nature that defaults to disobedience and rejection of God. We heard about it in the past few weeks. Last week in chapter 5, we heard about how uh, we, can't, we, we live as, uh, as humans under our identity, either under Adam, or un, you know, under Adam, which is under sin and brokenness, or under Christ. You know, and, and that's what we need to see. Paul says when we're baptized with Christ, we have a new life under him. We're baptized into his death. This reference of how our sin is defeated, and sin is it's buried, it's six feet under now. Christ deals with the sin. He conquers it. Only something he can do. And so our baptism in Christ means we get to share in that victory. Sin has been defeated. In a, in a few weeks' time, actually, at our sixth birthday, I didn't mention this earlier, we get, we're actually celebrating a baptism here at church. Uh, Yen is getting baptized, and she's going to share about how she has new life in Jesus. And we can only say that as Christians. We have a new life when we take hold of that truth, that our old life of sin has been buried, put to death in our baptism with Christ. But not only was that put to death, Christ was raised again, resurrected, which means we get new life too a new spiritual life where sin doesn't reign over us anymore. But verse 7, we've been set free from it. I'm a new me. I have new desires and a new worldview on life. I want to share something with you. It sounds, it's going to sound really trivial to you perhaps, but in high school, right, going back to what I was like in as a teenager, I used to swear like a chimney. Every second word, right? If you were censoring me, every second word, you'd it'd be beeping, right? I used to drop the F-bomb to express myself all the time. It was so unclassy. I'll be honest, it wasn't classy at all. But when I became a Christian, you know, that was the first thing I just, I didn't want to do anymore. All of a sudden, I just didn't want to swear anymore. I mean, it might sound really petty to you, but for me, it was a big deal. I realized words are so powerful. And I wanted what came out of my mouth to be uplifting and encouraging, not, not full of anger and, and bitching. I was a new me. I wanted to treat people with respect and my words to reflect the God who is loving and gracious to me. And for me, cussing didn't fit into that. I mean, other things changed. Oh, the way I saw sex and relationships, that changed. The way I saw my future, even my future career changed. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I might not cuss, but I still use words that I don't always encourage. I use words sometimes that tear down, and I don't mean to, but I do. I hurt people with my words still. But at least we should all recognize something in our own lives, shouldn't we? We should all recognize that when we became a Christian, there was things that we wanted to change. There were things we wanted to stop. Isn't that what happens when we truly meet the grace and love of Jesus for us? Our whole perspective, our whole worldview, our attitude to life changes. It's transformed. There's a glob. Our thinking, our desires change. Our hearts are impacted by this new reality, this new humanity. If you read Christian textbooks, right, this is called union with Christ. That's the term for it, where we get to share in the glory of Jesus, that sin is defeated, and we get to share in eternal life with God. That's union with Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, yes, but our sin died there too. Jesus was raised from the dead, but yes, guess what? We get to be raised from the dead too. That's union. There's a new spiritual connection that was formed when you put your faith in Jesus, friends. And that's the gift that you and I get to take hold of. You see, I see, I see a problem often in churches and, and amongst Christians that we've been so desensitized from the truth. We're so unaware that sometimes some of us will operate out of a place of actual entitlement and privilege, and we take that gift for granted. 
We're so used to that message of grace and forgiveness and love that we start assuming that it doesn't matter how I live anymore. I'll get forgiven again. God loves me, so let's not worry about changing my lifestyle. Let's not worry about repenting of sin. I'm quite comfortable still seeking out my my hedonistic, pleasure-seeking lifestyle while I sit on the throne of my life. Sure, I'll take Jesus as my Savior, 100%. He can save me from my sin, but Jesus as my Lord? I'm not so sure. Friends, we need to actually see the gospel for what it is, a great gift we can hold on to, a new life that's gifted to us. If that is true, if we've been given this undeserving gift at the cost of Jesus' life on the cross, how can we not be anything but thankful? How can we not live in gratitude and love towards God and love towards others? God who has saved us with free grace, yes, but costly grace that meant his own innocent son had to die on the cross for us. Further down, verse 11, it says this, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. You've got a new life now, not under sin, but under Christ. And what will you do with this new life? Will you continue to pursue sin and wickedness or will you offer up your life to God as an instrument of righteousness, it says? Will you see Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Or will you choose to live under the rule and reign of sin as your master in your life? Paul gives us this really uh, interesting illustration of how this plays out with with using slavery as an example. So if we keep reading, and we didn't get to read this earlier, so I'm going to read it now. You can follow on verse 15. Same chapter, 615. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to become uh, to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. So Paul has stated multiple times already, right, that the law itself can't save us. We heard that in chapter uh, 2 and 3 and, and 4 even. He repeats this question again, shall we sin because we don't live under the law anymore? He says, again, a big, emphatic no, doesn't he? While the question is slightly different here, here he wants his readers to know, you live under a new master now. You're a slave, but not a slave to sin. You're a slave now to righteousness, right? A slave under under Christ. We have to understand this illustration, why this would actually matter to the people who are reading this, right? Why this would impact them. The language sounds so irrelevant to us. What, we're slaves? I'm not a slave to anything. But... Think about this, right? Let's go back to first century Rome, the Roman Empire in the first century where Paul's writing to in this, this context. Back then, the half, a third to half of the population were slaves in the Roman Empire. Slavery wasn't necessarily the type of slavery that we know today, you know, the, the uh, slavery of black lives in history. It wasn't the slavery where people were treated as objects, sold and trafficked like many still are today. Yes, in the Roman Empire, there were some... Romans captured people and put them into slavery. That's what happened. But also slavery would happen because people would, would have to pay off a debt perhaps or they'd go to a family or go to a household and put themselves into slavery um, to find food and shelter and security, to be cared for, to be looked after through serving and being a slave to a household. Although you have a master or a debt to pay off, you weren't necessarily, necessarily treated like an animal because of that status. Like we see today, people treat like animals for, for being a slave. 
Um, as a slave, you, you had certain privileges, essentially. Now imagine with me, right? If you're going to sell yourself into slavery, if you had a choice, which house would you go to? You'd go to the big house, right? The, the wealthy, comfortable mansion on the hill. You'd be adopted, you know, where you could get adopted in and, and work and serve a well-off family. Wouldn't you want that? Like, you know, you're going to get well-fed and everything like that. You're going to have a big roof over your head. Surely, you know, you'll get those creature comforts. Imagine if you rocked up to this place now, right? It looked great. No sign of any master there, but it looked like a great big house that you could you know, enjoy. There were a bunch of other slaves there too. Right? You looked over the fence, a bunch of other slaves, and man, they looked happy. There was a swimming pool full of cash. You could swim literally in cash. Wow, that looked like fun, $100 bills, all that. Sex and hookups and orgies at the swipe of a finger. Wow. People there dolled up, beautiful, sexy, vain, on their phones, chasing the likes and followers. They sure look comfortable. Uh, it looks like the good life, on the surface at least. And you wander about on this property and you see this little sign at the door and it says, sin lives here. You know, like you and me, they're all slaves. And they sold themselves over to this master of sin. But that's okay because it seems like everyone else is doing it and it looks pretty good. They look happy at least on the surface. But you know what? You're curious. So you go, you go look over the fence. You, you, you want to go look what's happening next door. You peek over the fence. It doesn't have the big neon signs and flashing lights, but there are people there. And these people look like they have this deep sense of security, deep sense of joy and peace. They're not consumed in themselves, but they're using their gifts and their skills and their lives to serve this master on the throne. And this master there, you can see him. It's Jesus. And you can see that to be a slave in the household of Jesus looks far better than the, 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 the facade that sin offers. Here's the thing. We're all slaves to something. And Paul's making this point. We're slaves either to sin or slaves to righteousness. We don't actually get a choice. We're born into a world and into these mortal bodies where sin reigns. And I think we can all admit that we feel that slavery to sin at points in our lives, don't we? I mean, we all find things in this world hoping to quench that unquenchable thirst in us. We all know it, don't we? We become slaves to our career and our bank accounts. We become slaves to our phones and our popularity. We become slaves to our comfort and materialism. We become slaves to, to love and sex. And it'll taste good for a while, sure but it'll never truly bring you the joy and satisfaction our heart desires. Chase after popularity long enough and you'll feel the weight of inadequacy, envy, self-pity when you lose it. Uh, if you're a slave to success, you'll get a taste of status and pride in your achievements, sure, but soon you'll experience the burden of, of fatigue and worry and fear when your success dwindles or you go through some other existential crisis. Uh, in the words of the pastor, uh, Pastor Tim Keller in America, he says, anything you worship besides God promises much, but delivers worse than nothing. It is slavery, a constant treadmill of seeking to grasp or keep hold of something which can never really deliver. The only benefit of idolatry is brokenness. You see, Paul says of, spirit that, says of our spiritual nature that we're going to either be slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. There's no sitting on the fence. There is no in-between. And we think we're in control and we think we can leave at any time. But let's be honest, it's never that easy, is it? There's always going to be temptation around us. Addictions are hard to shake. Our desires are often so strong. Anyone here who has tried to diet from fried chicken, well, we know the struggle, don't we? Anyone who has tried to, to get off social media, we feel the FOMO, don't we? Anyone who tries to shake off alcoholism, smoking, drugs, it's not that easy. And while we may be able to overcome them through our willpower in this life, sure, we might be able to overcome those things, will we be able to overcome sin? 
Will you be able to stop being selfish, proud, greedy, lustful? We're always going to struggle with sin in this life. No matter how much I try, I can't free myself from the slavery I have under sin. You know, there is a way. Think about it. With slavery, how do you get free? How do you get free from slavery? Usually you're either freed from it by your master who sells you off, or simply you die. That's how you get free from slavery. You die, right? How will you be free from sin as your master? You need to die. Or someone greater needs to come and and buy you. You know what Christ does? Jesus, he comes and buys us at a price. The price was his life. He died. And we with Christ died to sin. And through his resurrection, we've been brought out of slavery of sin. And we have a new life under a new master. You see, there's actually a greater freedom now in Christ. There's a new me and there's a new master that is so much more worthy of worship than the, than the way that my old me worshipped, the sin that the old me worshipped. The old me worshipped things that were temporary and, and fleeting and shallow, but the new me gets to hold on to eternity and a relationship with the God of the universe who is the source and giver of all good things. The new me gets to have a, a master called Jesus who rules and reigns and who wants the best for me in this life and in the next. Man, sin doesn't give a damn about me. The more I follow sin, the more it leads me to death. That's what I get for following sin. But Jesus, that's the master who will show me love and grace and give me true peace and security and life for eternity. Go back to the question, why would you keep on sinning when you've died and be freed from Jesus, under Jesus? Yet here's the reality. We keep peeking over the fence, don't we? We keep peeking over the fence at the old me and think, I just want to have a taste, just a little taste. And we want to go back to 16-year-old me and that carefree social life with, you know, without responsibilities when, before adulting was hard and stuff. And so it is with the Christian walk, isn't it? I want to sneak over the fence and, and I'll come back to Jesus later. A bit of loose living on a Saturday night. I'll be at church Sunday to repent again. You know, I'll, I'll just go to church on Sundays and I'll get on good, God's good side. Or, or perhaps it's not even that. It's the Christian who knows we shouldn't judge or gossip, but we can't help ourselves because we need to tell someone. It's the Christian who wants to respect that other human being and not objectify them, but we still struggle and are addicted to, to porn and lust. The Christian who believes God has been so generous to them and, and they're called to be generous too, but you know what? They're still greedy. Still greedy with what God gives them. The Christian who knows having Jesus means security and freedom. Yeah, sure but still cares and is consistently worried about what others think of them, their, you know, how they're perceived and their status. It's the Christian who fears man and more than they fear God. It's not always so obvious, is it? But that's all sin. That's all uh, uh, symptoms of sin. Yeah, you can go to church and you can go to Bible study, you can serve others and all, but, and not do any of that pagan stuff, whatever you think that is. But sometimes sin is simply the rebellion that exists in our hearts where we put ourselves on the throne over our lives and allow sin to reign quietly, rejecting Jesus as our Lord and King. Paul knows that's the reality for believers, even for himself. While we live in this world, we will be entangled in sin. And at the end of chapter 7, we're going to skip over to the end of chapter 7, he speaks of this real struggle you and I will face. There's the old me in my mortal body, right, that desires sin, but then there's a new me, and the me that wants to live under obedience and the righteousness of Jesus, and there's this conflict that happens in our hearts. From verse 15, chapter 7, verse 15, let's read it. 
It's really fascinating what, what he says here. This is Paul writing, right? He's speaking about himself. He says, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. It keeps saying, talk, now if I, let's, let's keep going. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look how many times he says I, me, my, whatever. It's, he's talking about himself here. And Paul recognizes what every Christian has felt. Every Christian who's been on the journey with God for a while will know. Even though our desire now is to serve Jesus, the desire to sin is still there in these mortal bodies. Not only the desire, but we will still fall into sin. See, verse 21, he says, I find this law at work, right? He means he finds this principle at work. This principle that I'm in a constant battle where I do not, what I do is not what the new me wants to do. I'm going to revert back to the old me and do things that wouldn't otherwise be in line with the new me. Let's talk about principles at work in life. Take gravity, right, as a law of physics. The gravitational pull of gravity means even if I wanted to jump really high, super high and fly in the sky, it's not going to happen, right? Gravity is going to pull me back down. I don't have a choice. Here's something you don't know about me. I dream a lot, and uh, the dream I keep having all the time is me flying. I don't know why. I have these dreams where to fly, though, I need to take a really long run-up, and I just have to run, 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 and then I push myself into there, launch myself up, and then I'm floating. It's amazing, this amazing experience where I'm floating above all the trees and everything in the sky. Um, but if I did that outside, you guys would think I'm crazy, wouldn't you? It, it is crazy, because gravity will keep pulling me back down. I can't fly, sadly. But that's what sin does. We always hear that phrase, don't we? Human beings aren't perfect. No one is. Because sin still exists in this imperfect world. It stains our world and it stains us inside as well. See, that's the principle. That's the law at work in us. There's a war for our souls going on where we have new desires that want to serve Jesus, but we also fall short in sin. Sin doesn't reign anymore. We have a new master, but sin still hides in the shadows, in the corners and crevices of our hearts, and sneaks in here and there. More often than not, the more we grow in our love for Jesus, the more sin actually becomes apparent and has a greater pull on our lives. Paul brings this truth to us. Yes, we have a new life, friends. Yes, we have a new master. But reality is, in this life, we'll still fall and fail in our pursuit for holiness we will all fail. It's time for us to own that. Stop saving face, thinking that you have your life together. You don't. I don't. Honestly, I've been a Christian for 18 years now, and I fail daily in my sin. The more you know about Jesus, the more you realize how great of a sinner you are and how, how true that is. We are, we're a mass of contradictions, aren't we? 
This is the Apostle Paul talking. If anyone's a holy guy, it's him. But he himself doesn't think he's perfect. And if we ever perceive ourselves to be free from sin, over sin, if we ever feel ourselves to be pretty good Christians, we're deceived. If you ever hear a Christian say that, oh, they don't sin anymore, they don't get it. They've deceived, they've deceived themselves. Now, that doesn't mean we won't still grow and actually overcome certain sins in our lives. We will, and we can. But it does mean you'll realize that even when you might grow in holiness, you'll be aware that there's other areas in your life that you need to repent of. Progress as a Christian in this short life that we live isn't about getting to the goal of perfection. You'll never achieve it, friends. It's about being aware that sin is more like an iceberg. You can see parts of it, but the more you learn and grow, the more you'll start seeing how deep it goes. It'll be an ongoing war in this life to fight for holiness and to pursue Jesus. But here's the good news. While sin might creep in, sin isn't our master anymore. You are free. Jesus did conquer sin. Your sin was buried with him. You'll feel the failure of sin and defeat it at times. You'll face struggles and trials to overcome sin. Like the, like the addict who's trying to give up addiction, it won't be easy. But while you might want to beat yourself up, while you might want to feel really guilty, like you're back at square one again, Romans 6 and 7 actually says that's part of the Christian journey. Surprisingly, it's part of the Christian journey. We'll feel the struggle. We'll feel defeated at times. But that's part of your trajectory of growth as a Christian. Like I said earlier, I was really an angry kid when I was younger. I still get angry now, but I'm hoping it's less so by the grace of God and the Spirit's work in my life. Uh, hopefully, most of you who know, have known me in the last five years or even in the last year don't think of me as an angry person, but most people did. That's how I was, I was known. I was angry all the time. But you know what? As I developed and grew and, and glowed up, whatever, you know, I learned that it's not just my anger. It's actually my impatience now. And there's actually a lot of bitterness in my heart. There's a whole host of things that I do that I do in sin. Sure, I might be less angry, but there's still other areas in my life that I need to work on. Like Paul, I too am a wretched man. But will that mean I walk away from my faith? Or will we continue to get back on the horse and pursue Jesus? See, the struggle we have to face is actually the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian isn't easy, but it's one on a trajectory of growth. And with that trajectory of growth, Trust me, you'll struggle and you'll sometimes fail. But it's when you fail and when you get back up, that's when you'll grow in righteousness and deeper in your relationship with God. The greatest comfort is this. Paul finishes saying, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. He's not giving any glory to himself. He's giving all the glory to God here. We can have deliverance. We can embrace that new life, that new master of righteousness who is so far better and worthy of our worship. In him we have uh, deliverance, but we also have forgiveness as well. If you actually go to the next chapter, verse 1, I'm just going to read verse 1. I got it on the screen as well for you. Therefore, there is now, have you got it? 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. After all that, he says, there is no condemnation. You're forgiven. How good is that? While we might feel wretched like Paul does in our sin, we have forgiveness and deliverance from our sin in Christ. You know, one day that deliverance will be complete. One day the law of sin will be eradicated. One day we'll no longer be captives, enslaved to the sin in this world. Man, I can't wait to that day. It's so humbling, isn't it? While we struggle with sin in this world, we can't beat ourselves up over it. We have to run unashamedly 
back to the cross. And we need to persevere. We need to access the, the tools around us that will help us fight that war that's raging in our souls. Tap into the Bible. You have that as a tool. Let the gospel remind you about God's goodness and love for you. Tap into prayer, another tool where you can run to Jesus when you face the allure of sin. Tap into your church community here. Call a brother or sister up. Confess that you feel weak or that you failed. You want accountability and support. You're not alone. God gives us these tools so we can struggle well with our sin. And yes, it's true. At times you'll feel like a wretched person. Man, I feel it all the time. But there's also so much truth in these words. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Will we continue on pursuing sin in our lives? Or will you and I, imperfect and often failing as we do, will we chase after Jesus, pursuing that glow up, the righteousness, the obedience and life under him? We're going to have to live in that tension. But we have, to, but we have a God who loves us. And a God who's on our side and wants to pursue, who wants us to pursue a life of obedience under him. You know, I, I, I grew up uh, and I, I learned about Jesus when I was young, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 18, right? I'd just begun uni, and I was an adult now that got to do adult things, right? I had a newfound freedom. I, I stayed out late on weekends. I didn't have a curfew. I pursued pleasure and did whatever I wanted, but I met Jesus when I was 18, when I became an adult. And meeting Jesus changed everything. The real glow up began, right? I wasn't perfect and I'm still not perfect. But for the first time in my life, I felt truly free. I had the freedom to pursue something greater than the treadmill of life, chasing security, success, money, popularity, joy, and things that don't really matter. I got to pursue my relationship with my God, who is greater than all of that. And when my friends heard about me becoming a Christian, they thought I was crazy. Many still do. They would say, Christianity, man, that restricts freedom. But when I look out at the world around me, I can't help but ask the question, which one of us are truly free? Don't we all live life enslaved to something? I don't know about you, but I got tired of slaving away for the things in life that don't give me any reward, that are just temporary. Here's the real question we have to ask ourselves. We are going to be enslaved to something but will that thing that we are slaves to, will it bring us life or will it bring us death? Friends, you've got to run, run from sin, run far and cling to Jesus. See him not just as your savior, but as your Lord and King, because he'll be a far better master than sin ever will be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. That through his death and his resurrection, we get to share in new life with him. That our sin has been buried, and that we get to experience the resurrection. We get to have union with Christ, a new life and a new master. Pray, Lord, uh, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see that in our lives, to really reflect and be aware of the areas in our life where we are tempted to sin, tempted to, to be enslaved to that area uh, of sin in our lives. Help us to be aware that um, those things aren't life-giving. They don't bring us true and ultimate joy. Help us to turn to you in dependence and reliance. Help us to see you as a God who does love us and care for us and is so much more worthy of our worship. And I do pray, Lord, that your Spirit will be at work in our hearts, showing us that, teaching us that, being with us day by day, not just on Sundays, 
day by day as we go into the work workforce, as we go to our, 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 our classes, as we go into our lives, into our families, with our friends, help us to see that you are a God that's worthy of our worship in our lives. And Lord, I pray as we do that, Lord, that your spirit will grow us. Yeah, we will fail at times. We will fall into the trap of sin and we will, we will disappoint you. But help us to see that there is forgiveness at the cross. There is deliverance there too. Help us to run unashamedly back to the cross day by day, knowing that you are a God who loves us and forgives us. And we can stand cleansed before you because we have a Jesus who covered us with his righteousness. So I do pray for this, Lord, and I pray for our church that together we will run that race, running from sin and clinging to Jesus, seeing him not just as our Savior, but as our Lord and King, worthy of our worship. I do pray for this, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen.